for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at TNTradio.live. You're with Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Okay, it is Tuesday, the 19th. Is that right? The 19th of December, 2023. Unbelievable. We're rattling up towards the end of the year at a real rate of knots. So whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and of course, whatever you're doing, we hope that it's nice. Hopefully you're ready for the festive season, which will kick off in earnest, I would imagine, this weekend. I think Sunday is Christmas Eve. I think next week, TNT will be having a little break, which will be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, UK time. Uh, business will resume as normal on the Thursday and Friday. And of course, uh, we will have uh, output that will be broadcast completely over the entire period of uh, Christmas and into the new year. So please uh, stay tuned for updates on that. Uh, I'm finishing this Friday. And I will be back actually on New Year's Day. So if you are looking for a good way to kick off the new year, which is Monday, the 1st of January, 2024, of course, uh, stay tuned to TNT as you normally would. Uh, I will be on as normal with Natalie for Open Line and also, of course, locked and loaded on the Monday morning, New Year's Day. So what better way to kick off your new year than to spend it in my company? How privileged and lucky are all you people out there? Anyway, uh, it's uh, going to be a busy hour this hour. I'm going to be talking to Gemma in just a minute. And also uh, Darren Denslow, D.D. Denslow, the man himself, will be joining me from Plymouth uh, later on in the show. And then to finalise, or to round off the hour, uh, Phil Zimmerman, who's a UK-based comic uh, comedian and uh, actor. He will also be joining me for the tail end of the hour, talking about personal censorship, which is something that he has suffered from uh, as a result of some of the shows that he's been putting on or has been putting on over the last three years. So before we get there, uh, just some things that I'm seeing that are catching my eye in the news. Larry Fink, uh, if you don't know who Larry Fink is, he's a very influential chap. He's the chairman and chief executive officer of BlackRock, the investment company that has their fingers in just about every pie out there in the world. Uh, he is saying that productivity is falling in the last few years in the United States of America. A big reason he believes that productivity is falling is that remote working does not work. Every chief executive officer he said he talked to already tells him that remote working has not worked. It hasn't worked in technology. It hasn't worked in any other way. Well, TNT Radio are the absolute perfect example of why that's an absolute crock of BS. We've got Gemma over in the UK. I'm in Ireland. We're based out of the Gold Coast in Australia. We've got guests coming on from France, South Africa, you name it, all over the world. So we all work remotely, but we can get the job done. And not only can we get the job done here on TNT Radio, but we're expanding. We're getting bigger and bigger. We're reaching more and more people. We're bringing more and more people on board. So Larry Fink, I call BS to your statement. And I set before you TNT Radio as the perfect example of why remote working can work and remote working does work. However, not every job and not every profession it can work for. If you're a, a, a delivery van driver, uh, remote working doesn't work. If you're a postman, remote working doesn't work. If your job is uh, to work in a supermarket, remote working doesn't work, of course, in instances like that. But for many, many people, they became a lot more productive and a lot happier 
and a lot more contented mentally when they didn't have to uh, grind out their rat race every morning and commute for hours senselessly into an office to sit and have their heads melted with banal conversations uh, under fluorescent lights with steel air and listening to their boss talk crap for eight hours a day before they got back on the train and lugged all their way home only to repeat things day after day after day after day. So it can work sometimes, other times it can't work. So think is obviously trying to get people back into that uh, enclosed environment again, which I believe is very bad for people's mental health. But, you know, it's down to the individual. Uh, one other story here uh, that I wanted to look at, I'll maybe touch on it actually with Gemma when she hops on here. So what I'll do is I'll just tell you to stay tuned here. Uh, plenty more to come through the course of this hour on TNT, and we'll be right back. It's the stuff. What citizen wouldn't want to make American great again? People are talking about. Vilifying MAGO if it's not going to work. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, just very briefly, Gemma, there's a story that I had here highlighted, uh, but again, it's just to shine a light really on some of the numbers of people that are suffering this year coming up to uh, the so-called festive period. It's children especially that are in homeless uh, homelessness or in a position of homelessness. Uh, you don't have the story, so I'll just give you the overview on it. It says, from a three-bedroom house last Christmas to homelessness this year, a family of four whose story is becoming all too familiar. Almost 139,000 children children in England will wake up this Christmas with nowhere to call home and an uncertain future as the number of homeless families in temporary accommodation reaches an all-time high. Uh, a description here of what the living accommodation is like for this uh, family with children. They say they're two of almost 139,000 children uh, spending Christmas in temporary accommodation. It's an increase of 14% from 2022 as the number of homeless families hits the highest since records began. Is that not the ultimate damning statement on the failure of the UK government that 140,000 almost children are going to be spending Christmas in temporary accommodation and the figure has went up by 14% in the last year and it's at highest levels since records actually began. Where's the housing policy? Where's the where's the uh, accountability to these children to at least provide a roof over their heads? Absolutely, we've covered this story uh, several times, haven't we? Here, not just on a open line, uh, open line and locked and loaded, but I've covered this story on um, other shows that I co-host on, um, and that is the, the the poverty crisis, the destitution crisis that we're facing in the UK. It wasn't long ago that we were talking about that report by the Joseph Roundtree Foundation, which looks into poverty, and it was saying how there's 1.8 million children living not in poverty, but in destitution. We were talking back to Victorian levels of poverty, uh, and that goes along with the report that post, uh, post the COVID era, um, the gap between the rich and the poor in the UK has, has gone back to Victorian levels. It's never been wider. Now, bearing in mind, Rick, in Victorian times, people were living in slums. That's what we're talking about. And I think the housing policy is temporary accommodation because I think we have discussed this very um, issue that um, families are put in what the councils, local authorities, the government would call temporary accommodation, a bed and breakfast or something similar. Um, and it ends up being far from temporary because once the council's got you in somewhere, they'll keep you somewhere because they then think, well, that per at least that person's got a roof over their head but they're not our problem anymore. We then have to worry about the thousands of others who are waiting in the wings. So I think that temporary accommodation is providing that the, the, the solution to the housing crisis. Of course, it's not a housing crisis because so many homes are lying empty. Uh, a lot of them are Airbnb. A lot of them are second homes. Um, it's the way that, poly, um, the, you know, 
greed effectively has been allowed to run rampant in the housing market um, and, and, and let people buy properties, lent them at extortionate rates that people can't afford and push people literally onto the streets. That's where we are. Um, you know, you can solve it by changing legislation on second homes. You can solve it by looking at Airbnb, which is dominating the global market and pushing people out in all countries all around the world. Um, in Greece, they're saying, aren't they, they have sick of tourists because they take up accommodation, which is Airbnb now, and pricing locals out of the markets. So it's, again, it's corporate, isn't it? It's corporate culture all over the world creating these problems. But yet, I mean, the level of poverty in the UK now is shocking and embarrassing, actually, I have to say. I can't believe that the government be isn't, you know... Yeah. <laughs> it's completely uh, red-faced on this one. I was going to say also it would be interesting to see what their definition of temporary accommodation actually is because, you know, to my mind, temporary accommodation is somewhere you put someone as a stopgap until you can get them a permanent residence or somewhere that they can at least call home themselves. But, of course, people, uh, I, I worked in a, you know, for a large housing organization for 11 mm -hmm. years in the homelessness department before I came to TNT. And let me tell you this, some people were in temporary accommodation for well over a year, crazy people living in guest houses and B&Bs for well over a year or in hostels. Uh, it's absolutely far from ideal. And the cost of providing services like that is absolutely exorbitant. So interesting it would be to find out what the government actually deems uh, temporary accommodation to be, what their definition of temporary is, and what our definition is could be two completely different things. Uh, but we'll have a, a great story you have here. Well, it's not great actually, because uh, you know it's involving people being injured again. Yet again, we're hearing about negligence and huge uh, 100 million plus payouts being made. And in this case, it's uh, Bayer Monsanto. Uh, what have they been up to? Well, I mean, in one, talking about corporate culture, you know, this, this is a victory, but it's a victory tainted with, you know, damage to the human um, health. Uh, but Monsanto, that wonderful company, Monsanto, owned by Bayer, and we all know what wonderful links they had to uh, the Holocaust and the Nazis, but uh, it's a victory, um, and it's a considerable uh, chunk of the of the Monsanto fortune. It's come out of America this morning, this story, and Monsanto has been ordered to pay $857 million uh, pounds effectively to seven people who say they were affected by chemicals that leaked from a light at a school in America. Uh, the chemicals in concern are polychlorinated biphenyls. They were banned by America in 1979 after their links to cancer were discovered. But uh, there were PCBs, effectively, that's the shorthand for these chemicals, in light fittings in Sky Valley Education Center in Washington State. And um, five former students and two parent volunteers who spent time at the school uh, between the last seven and 18 years say they suffered neurological, endocrine system and other serious related health conditions. The jury, there was a jury, found Monsanto uh, negligent and liable for selling the PCBs which were used at the school. And the figures are astounding. Uh, $73 million in damages, $112 million to each of the plaintiff's concern. That's $112 million, which indicates that the health problems that these people are suffering are pretty severe. Now, Monsanto has tried to defend itself. It said, the, it said we, we told the school to get the lights refitted, retrofitted, um, but the school ignored us. And the, <laughs> Monsanto is claiming that these uh, damages are excessive and they're looking to get the verdict overturned. And of course, Monsanto has been in a considerable amount of trouble since uh, the Roundup sort of scandal. The first case was launched um, by the, the groundskeeper. Do you remember him, the groundskeeper mm -hmm. at the American school? He was doing 20 to 30 applications of Roundup a year and he developed cancers and he was awarded $289 million. Um, that figure was later reduced. But um, in terms of Roundup, Monsanto has had 160,000 cases brought 
to it. It's settled or dismissed 113,000, um, but it is uh, set aside 16 billion to deal with the roundup cases that are now coming forward. That's 16 billion just to deal with these cases. It gives you an indication of what Monsanto and Bayer, the profits and the money that this company is making. And of course, it's profit and 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 it's profit and power of this of human suffering because these chemicals are everywhere in the food chain now. Uh, you can't escape the clutches of Monsanto, but at least th- this victory for these people today and and the and the money waiting in the wings to deal with cases shows you know they have been rumbled. There is a fight on against this. Whether or not it will change what's now in our food chain and what what is out there in terms of chemicals, I very much doubt. But at least there's some compensation now coming through the pipeline. You know, it's interesting to compare the numbers uh, that we have here. You know, whenever I saw the headline of that story, Gemma, it said about $857 million has been set aside, but that's split just between six people, which is insane. So it's well over $100 million each. Sorry, seven people, my apologies, seven people. So it's still well over $100 million each in compensation. And yes, rightly so, if they have been, uh, their life has been ruined or their health has been destroyed by exposure uh, to something or negligence on behalf of uh, uh, Bayer Monsanto. I'm thinking, but isn't it tragic when you compare that to the, you look at the Vibs UK group or the Vibs NI group, these are people that maybe have lost a leg. You think of Alex Mitchell lost a leg. You think of uh, Claire Hibbs. You think about uh, various people, uh, Charlotte Wright, whose husband, Stephen Wright, died uh, You know, at 32 years of age, leaving two young children. And she has had to fight tooth and nail to try and get some compensation from the government and the most that she could expect to get at this point in time was £120,000 and that was for a death, death of a husband, a death of a father and of course he was the bread, he was a breadwinner, he was a qualified doctor who died at 32. Look at the loss of earnings uh, that uh, has been uh, taken out of that house over the course of his working life and to think they have to fight to get 120 grand from the British government when they admit this was as a result of these jobs. And then you hear about cases like this where seven people are getting $110 million each, just like that. Billions set aside in further compensation payments. It shows you the disparity between payments, uh, doesn't it, for people that have been affected by negligence? It does. Um, but I wonder, you know, I, this 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 goes back a long way. You know, these plaintiffs that brought the case, they were they were at the school between seven and 18 years ago, nearly 20 years ago for some of the people who became damaged. Um, and I think this fight has been going on for a long time behind the scenes. And I wonder if it's one of those things where you just keep persevering and persevering and persevering and you don't give up. Um, and it's interesting, you know, you've got we've got this case coming up, this landmark legal case against AstraZeneca, where they're bringing it to the High Court under the UK Consumer Protection Act. You know, they don't give up, try another way. Don't give up, don't give up. Because think about the lawyers that Monsanto would have had. Um, these yeah. people clearly had teams of their own. And I, what, what I think uh, the payouts indicate is how serious the health problems possibly were. Um, the, the article doesn't go into the details of what actually, what the endocrine system um, problems were, but that they can be extremely serious. So I think that's where we are with this one. And I think that the groundswell of support for people with vaccine damage now, not just in this country, but around the world, because everybody knows somebody, don't we? Everybody now knows somebody who's either died or you know developed very serious conditions mm-hmm. after getting a jab. Um, I think it will be a question of perseverance before we start to see the proper compensation and of course what the government here will rely on is either people dying or just being so worn down by it all that they give up and i think this story illustrates don't give up take on the corporations take on the governments do it you know you've got support behind you do it 
Yeah, and again, action. What was it? We were you were talking at the start. We were saying that if you want to make something happen in this life, you know, it's okay to think about it, dream about it, visualize it, but you then have to put that into action, which is what these people are doing. And thankfully, what the Vibs uh, UK group are doing as well in chasing AstraZeneca through the courts. You know, they're not just sitting there with their fingers crossed hoping that everything will resolve their way. They're actually being proactive and getting out there and taking it to them. Uh, and of course, we wish them all the best in their efforts to try and get uh, just compensation from the injuries, horrific injuries and bereavements that they've suffered as a result of the Oxford AstraZeneca product. I wouldn't even call it a, a vaccine or anything else like that. It's a product and it wasn't a product that did anybody any good whatsoever. So Gemma, big thanks to you again this morning for uh, bringing all that to the table. Uh, we will talk again tomorrow. I believe it's Wednesday. Yep. Halfway through the week tomorrow. And please, listeners, stay tuned. Uh, Darren Denzel will be joining me in just a minute here in the one and only TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal. Uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage, 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former national security advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malsberg on TNT Radio. JDRF's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community, we're energised by the type 1 community, and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist, and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. It sounds really good. It's it sounds like, real, it's dude. Not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, TNT Radio, TNT Radio.live. Of course, you can download our app from the Google Play Store or the App Store onto your listening device of choice and stay perpetually connected with us for all eternity here at TNT Radio. I'm really happy to be joined again by my old sparring partner, the Jenner himself, freshly trimmed, I might add. The beard has been uh, attended to since the last time he came on the show. Welcome to the one and only Darren Denslow. Darren, how are you doing? 
Oh, I'm very well, Rick. Uh, always good to, to come on on a Tuesday. Yeah, I had a few like spider's legs. They were all sort of just spreading out and, and I like to look nice and neat and tidy. So uh, yeah, it has had a trim. But the oiling, the oiling of the beard, which is a new uh, a, 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 a new technique that I've learned for the face, uh, that's coming on nice. And I smell like okay. uh, Clary Sage, I think is what I smell like quite nice. So Not I, I, Julian I, I Clary. Fine. Not Julian, Not Curry, Julian no. Curry. I, I, I'm walking around smelling like a, a, a Turkish barber, mate. That's what I smell like. Mate. But it's quite nice. It's quite nice. Well, good for you. Good for you. A little bit of male grooming. No harm in doing that. That's grooming of the, you know, the appearance that is. He's not grooming uh, other men, at least. I hope he's, <laughs> okay. he's not. Well, anyway, not uh, we don't advocate that business here on uh, TNT. Darren, uh, we've got until around about 20 past here. There's a few things that I wanted to throw at you. Uh, I suppose you would say I want to hop across to the Middle East at the minute. There's stuff going on over there that maybe people aren't aware of. Of course, uh, the talk of the town is obviously the conflict that's still ongoing between Israel Israel and Palestine. But check this out. The Red Sea is now largely closed to traffic over in the Middle East. That's around about 8.8 million barrels of oil daily transit and nearly 380 million tons of daily daily cargo transit has effectively been held up or rerouted uh, because of this uh, business in the Red Sea. Now listen to this, global traffic will now be rerouted around the Cape of Good Hope, which is all the way down to the southern tip of Africa and then all the way up the western coast of Africa before it reaches itself in Europe. This could add around about 40% to voyage distance and even more to the cost of goods when they arrive where we're going. I don't think people understand that the price that we pay in supermarkets or at petrol pumps or for whatever it is that we consume, a lot of it, uh, the transportation costs are factored into that as well. And this clog up in the Red Sea, I think is gonna cause uh, a lot of damage to people's wallets uh, into the new year. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, a huge percentage of trade goes through that region, goes through the Suez Canal, uh, goes through the various straits that Iran has control of. We've seen that uh, Yemen, uh, the Houthis of Yemen, have mm -hmm. been attacking and drone attacking um, uh, trade vessels and commercial commercial shipping uh, that's travelled, particularly if it's got an Israeli name on the side. They said any Israeli ship that passes Yemen uh, will be a target for the Houthis. Uh, we've seen that... Uh, uh, um, American naval forces and British naval ships have um, uh, taken down Houthi drones. Uh, we, uh, there was a story the other day of an American frigate or an American uh, air defense destroyer, whatever it is, uh, took out 14 drones. A British ship also took out drones. So there is some now combat there. And it looks like the American are getting a coalition uh, to protect the prosperity of the world by getting together something like 200 ships to protect shipping there. Uh, and people don't realize that, you know, massive percent of our trade goes through uh, this region, uh, which is why it's such a hotbed for military action, particularly with the US. Uh, and uh, I read this morning that fuel prices, uh, prices at the petrol pump, uh, the cost to heat us uh, in the West when we're cold is going to go up again, just as it started coming down because of uh, the conflict and the impact on trade and shipping uh, in the Middle East, mate. Yeah, there's a, there's a supplementary article to this here. I'm reading it from Zero Hedge, which is a great uh, commentary site uh, that you can find on the X platform. But BP 
Evergreen, Euronav have all halted sailings through uh, the chaotic Red Sea as insurers demand war risk coverage. So uh, it's not just the case of, you know, insuring the content or, or the cargo of the ships and, of course, the vessel themselves, but now they want war risk coverage. So the insurance companies are getting in on this. Uh, of course, if there's a claim has to be paid out for a tanker that goes down with what, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil on it, they could have to pay the cleanup fees for that. They could have to pay the cost of the vessel. They could have to pay, you know, you could be talking about, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of pounds worth of claims. And there's one thing we know about insurance companies is they don't like paying out any money. So they're now bolting on war coverage, insurance premium risks, and it's stopping BP uh, from paying it out. Now, think about this, Darren. If BP are not going to pay out for the war insurance, how much must it actually cost, given the BT's making about a billion pounds a second in profit? Even they don't want to pay for this, so it must be pretty damn expensive. Yeah, I expect uh, insurance to protect yourself against drone attacks from uh, pirates uh, in the modern day. And that's what it is. It's a modern form or it's, it's presented to the public as a modern form of piracy. I suspect the costs are quite high. But BP uh, and the other big companies, me uh, you know, mega companies around the world, whether it's oil or pharma, they don't get rich. Uh, by paying out anything if they can avoid it. Uh, and BP, no doubt, is exactly the same. They will pass those costs on when they do have to pay it uh, on to the public. And that's why, uh, just as we've seen prices not come down, but we're seeing inflation come down, we're seeing fuel prices sort of coming down or leveling off, I suspect in 2024, uh, everything's going to be on the march upwards once again. And it's the consumer that will suffer and have to pay for these costs. And we've got to remember, the whole reason why there's a conflict in Gaza with Israel, the Middle East. Yes, there is the, the religious and political tensions. We've got the fact that Israel is stealing land off the Gazans, but ultimately it is because they want to build another canal so they can take control of all trade that goes through that region. And you might say, well, that sounds like a good idea because that means that the Yemens, the Houthis of the Yemen uh, aren't attacking shipping there. Um, but that's why we're having this, you know, this catastrophic uh, uh, bombing campaign in Gaza is because it's all to do ultimately with profit, money, power and trade. Uh, and this coalition of prosperity, this uh, naval fleet that they're putting together, it isn't for the prosperity of the public. It's for the prosperity of the owners and the money printers and the people who pump oil out of the ground. It's for their prosperity. And that is why we're seeing the conflict there in the first place, Rick. You know, when we talk about the consumers, sometimes I have to pinch myself down and say, hang on, he's talking about me. We're talking about ourselves here because ultimately, no matter what's happening in the world and the geopolitical stages, it always filters back to our pockets, your pocket in Plymouth and my pocket over here uh, in Northern Ireland. Ultimately, we pay the brunt of this uh, mm -hmm. collectively rather than any one country or corporation. So got to take a quick news break. Uh, when we come back after that, I want to look at, uh, you know, electricity actually let's have a little look at electricity what's going on with electric supplies around the world and how australia had a wobbly moment uh, just this week alone with uh, the potential for a blackout so uh, don't go away folks we'll be right back after the news tnt radio live the station the first to broadcast breaking news tnt radio news matt boyland here with a look at your tnt headlines after weeks of intense seismic activity, the Reykjanes volcano has erupted in Iceland with 100-metre-high lava fountains spurting out of a 4-kilometre-long crack in the Earth's surface. 
Following increased drone and missile attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea, the US has announced a new multinational task force to protect the key shipping lane. And Donald Trump has vowed to deport the largest number of undocumented migrants in US history if he's re-elected next year. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio, free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio. Okay, Darren, I'm having another look here at a story uh, that uh, was published just this week here in in, in Australia. Uh, there's a guy from South Africa I talk with a lot, Rob Hutchinson. He's fantastic, and he's been lamenting the lack of, um, how would you say, continuity with electricity supplies in, in South Africa. They're on what's called stage six load shedding, which means during any one period of time over 24 hours they could be without electricity for 12 hours at a, uh, in total over the course of a 24-hour period and it's been like that uh, for over a year now it doesn't look like it's getting better anytime soon uh, we had a chap in the studio last week Anoop who's doing our uh, audio visual and he said that he he's from Nepal and he said for six years I think they only had eight hours of electricity out of any 24-hour period for for years years at a time and that's stuff that we don't think will come our way. But in Australia this week, uh, electricity uh, grid is on the brink. Since being elected, uh, Malcolm Roberts here put a post up to say, I've been criticised for warning this was coming. Decades of forcing unreliable winter and solar, uh, sorry, unreliable wind and solar into the grid while forcing out coal has made electricity more volatile, more expensive and increasingly unavailable. So what happened this week uh, in, uh, in Oz is for a, a delicate 30 minutes Last Thursday afternoon, the New South Wales electricity system went through a near-death experience. Liquid fuel generators were turned on in Tarsville, batteries were drained in South Australia, and sluice valves were released in the snowy mountains to ramp up output from the turbines. New South Wales Energy Minister Penny Sharp implored households to ease the strain by delaying the start, uh, delaying the start of their dishwashers, dryers, and washing machines just to keep the lights on. So maybe in Africa you can understand this and maybe some far-flung areas of the Far East you can understand this, but now it's creeping closer to home per se, you know, in Australia. Could we be seeing stuff like that in the UK and the into the new year? Uh, I mean, we shouldn't. There should be no reason why any country in the West is uh, not energy sufficient and doesn't have the stocks and the stores uh, to, to suffice and provide energy for the requirements of the public. Um, but, uh, you know, we've heard rumours, we've talked about this since since this time last year, Rick, we was warning about potential blackouts for uh, the UK to face a similar uh, situation as South Africa with rolling blackouts. Um, and it never happened and i do wonder sometimes we hear about the cyber attacks how are they going to do a cyber attack they probably would have for an all-encompassing cyber attack they probably would have to cut the power off and i do wonder uh, whether this is just more uh, fear-mongery and that these are sort of events that are being created and facilitated by the establishment uh, just to scare the public just to push the climate change narrative uh, and also uh, probably to make some profit 
fit somewhere along the line. Uh, I don't know if they will ever... Uh, go to a situation where we have rolling blackouts here in the UK. Uh, famous last words. I think <laughs> if we had our power cut for 12 hours a day, uh, some people, particularly when their Wi-Fi is gone for five minutes, mm-hmm. are going to be in the streets complaining. And I think uh, that the establishment know that if they cut the power for any period of length of time, and I'm just talking just hours, uh, that they would have social unrest. You know, interesting listening to you make that point and you make it very, very well. You would think, you know, if people were five minutes without their Wi-Fi that all hell would break loose. People would take the streets. You know, this would get dealt with swiftly uh, the British way. But when when I cast my mind back down over the last three years and you think about what the Brits did actually put off on the Irish and the Australians and the New Zealanders and the Canadians and the Americans, you know, we were told you can only leave your house for one hour a day. We were told you can only meet people in groups of six. You can't sit inside a pub to drink a pint. You have to buy a scotch egg with your beer if you want to sit inside to make a substantial meal. You have to inject yourself with a, a deadly toxin potentially if you want to work in a care home or a nursing home. You can't see your parents that are dying in hospitals. You can't even attend their funerals or sit beside your loved ones and grieve. When you think about that, you think, hell, nobody would ever put up with that. Shutting down schools, closing down churches, can't do anything, can't go anywhere. You would have thought nobody would have put up with that either, but hell, they did. So maybe... Maybe we'll get a shocker with this one that if it does happen, maybe we'll we'll roll over collectively and take that too. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm nodding away here, Rick, and uh, you know, and I'm agreeing with you. I don't want to agree with you, but you're mm-hmm. right. Uh, the sexualization of children, the mm-hmm. robbery, the mass mm-hmm. murder of millions of people, mm-hmm. uh, funded by the British and Western taxpayer in Ukraine and in the Middle East, and then a whole load of wars that we don't talk about, including Yemen, which you mentioned earlier. We're killing lots of people in Yemen. They're all dying at the hands of American bombs, uh, and yet we tolerate this. And you are right. Uh, you talked about um, uh, the a new guy who's working in TNT studio, mm-hmm. a noob uh, from mm-hmm. Nepal, I believe. Um, and he said, well, he was going for 12 hours a day without, uh, or he had no electricity. 18 or hours. Intimate. 18. For like eight 18. years, did you say? Six years? Yeah, no, I can't, I can't 18 remember. hours a day for six years. Yeah. It was, for he only had years. electricity, I think, for six hours a day. And I suspect if you asked him, he said, oh, we just got used to it. It was just how yeah. we lived. We didn't we didn't think anything of it. We was grateful for uh, for the, the six hours of electricity we got every day. You might find if they run some sort of blackout scheme, rolling blackout scheme to save the planet, to cool it down a little bit, uh, that the public would probably very quickly get accustomed to it. They might even like it. And when the electricity's brought back, we've got electricity for 24 hours yeah. a day again. The public will go, oh, I don't want that. I quite liked going for a walk in the park like I did down during the lockdown era without any internet or electricity. Hey, I talk to my neighbor now and I never used to do that because we used to just send each other WhatsApp messages, even though we're in a room just separated by a wall. Now I go around and, and uh, have a cup of tea. So it might be, you know, cutting the electricity off. Um, it might be beneficial to society. We might find that we regain our humanity a little bit, start talking to each other, which I suspect the establishment wouldn't want. They want control of the message. And that's why my I often argue that they will never take the internet down. They'll never take the electricity down, not in any meaningful way, because that messaging gets cut off. And if there was one way to solve all the world's problems is if they could cut off the TV and the internet for a week, everybody would wake up. 
They would, and also it does do you good uh, on a social level. Anytime that I've travelled uh, overseas down into the certain parts of Africa that I went to, there was no creature comforts at all, no, no running water, no electric, no toilets, no nothing. It sounds like hell, you know, no supermarkets where you could go and buy the things that you love. But let me tell you this, you see, after the initial shock of a few days, you do start to ease your way into that yeah. and you become highly aware of your surroundings. You become more physically active. You become more socially active. You start interacting with people. You start to enjoy your surroundings again. You start to almost get detoxified by all the yeah. crap that they're incessantly bombarding us with uh, online using those damn phones and the computers and the internet and wi-fi and all that sort of business so yeah it, it could go either way it could put a lot of people uh, make them very uncomfortable but as you say it could actually uh, shake the dust off them and uh, take the scales from off of their eyes darn we're pretty much up to time here uh, unbelievable how quickly this uh, little slot of ours goes by just want to say before the end of the year of course humongous thanks to you for all your input not just this year but last year as well uh we'll be coming up to our second anniversary of tnt in january and year you've been here right right year yeah end of year number three from uh the 10th of january i i think was our first broadcast ever yeah. 2022 uh are you doing any shows uh we're talking about new year's eve there's a the potential you might do a new year's eve show for yeah, I, I, digging deeper I, is that correct i booked leave uh, under the assumption that uh, in Brisbane everybody would be partying on New Year's Eve and so mm -hmm. like, there wouldn't be anyone to do my show. So as it stands, I'm not back uh, on air until the 7th of January. Uh, okay. But uh, if I'm back in Plymouth, I'm going away next week. If I'm back before mm -hmm. New Year's Eve and I've got guests and there are people in the, the studio, then I may well put on uh, a New Year's Eve show uh, for all the wonderful TNT listeners out there. And it's sweet, been a pleasure sweet. working with you and TNT. And if I don't come back, Happy New Year to everybody who's listening. Happy to New Year and Merry Christmas to you too. Uh, my friend, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Oh, we will. It seems so bizarre to be saying that, doesn't it? I don't know. I don't feel very festive at the minute, but I'm aware this time next week it will all be <laughs> over. Bah humbug. All be over for the shouting. But anyway, Darren, listen, have a great day. Uh, whatever you're off to do as per right now, check out Darren's show, uh, Digging Deeper, on a Sunday. And of course, if you missed the live broadcast, you can go to our website, tntradio.live, and look up uh, his show, Digging Deeper with Darren Denslow, Sunday afternoons from 12 p.m. until 2 p.m. UK time. And of course, uh, we'll be back together uh, in the new year honour uh, Darren of that I have no doubt so big thanks to Darren for that we're going to take a quick break now and then I'm going to be joined uh, see you later man uh, we're going to be joined by Phil Zimmerman also from the UK he's going to give us a personal story of uh, censorship during the scandemic years so please stay tuned for more here on the one and only TNT Radio Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Last week while campaigning in Iowa, Joe Biden was the topic of conversation for Donald Trump. And he wanted to make clear that everyone knew that Biden couldn't handle things cognitively. He can't put two sentences together. He's running. Can't find his way off the stage. See all the stairs around here? How the hell do you not? Where is the stair? He says, where is the stair? And he walks off the stage and he's like... And Trump wanted to make sure that everyone knew that he had been found most competent. I took a physical and I passed with flying colors and I took a cognitive exam. I said, doctor, 
Give me anything you want. I want to take it. I think you actually, if you're running for president, I think you should be forced to take it. They say it's not constitutional. So instead of, uh, you know, look, we want, we love our constitution, but look what we have in office. This guy cannot pass a cognitive exam. True words have never been spoken. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time, right here on TNT Radio. The next time you think you can illegally handle your mobile phone while driving and get away with it, think again. Phone detection cameras are in operation on New South Wales roads. Hello. So if you're driving and illegally handle your mobile phone, you can stop it or cop it. This is Locked and Loaded with Rick Munn on TNT. Okay, uh, coming up to the end of the show here, I'm really happy to be joined for the first time on Locked and Loaded anyway by the one and only Phil Zimmerman. Phil is a comedian, a film and TV actor, a singer-songwriter, a Buddhist priest, peace and freedom activist, and also a former comedy club promoter. Uh, he had a sold-out comedy show called Killing Granny, uh, mocking and exposing the COVID narrative, which enjoyed a sold-out run of the 2021 Edinburgh Fringe uh, Festival. However, despite success of the show, which had some great reviews, the promoter uh, decided to decline uh, continued promotion of that show back in 2021. Uh, in May uh, of this year, Phil's new show, which is called Bill Gates uh, Killed My Hamster, was cancelled by Brighton Fringe in May for allegedly historical tweets or social media uh, postings. Nothing at all to do with the content of the show. However, uh, uh, the show um, uh, will be uh, was premiered in September of this year and uh, on January the 25th there will be a further series of performances about this. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Phil on and say uh, how are you doing today and I hope you're well. Hi, Rick. Great to be here. Yes, I'm I'm fine apart from a few sniffles, but uh, I think we can survive that. Yeah, uh, at least uh, stay with us. Uh, don't kick the bucket on us for at least I'll, another I'll 15 minutes. To, yes. uh, once the interview's yeah. over, you're free to uh, you know continue to uh, languish. Uh, but of course, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. Phil, tell me this. Uh, it must have been a strange one uh, to have such a good uh, initial kickback on this uh, with the, the Edinburgh Fringe. Everything seemed to be going well. And then, of course, uh, maybe you get a phone call. Uh, we can't hold you here. We can't host you here because of X, Y, Z reasons. Must have been a little bit of kick in the teeth that when you got off to such a good start with the old uh, Killing Granny tour? It was very odd, Rick, because um, the other thing is that on that tour, the Killing Granny tour, um, really one of the, the most successful and enjoyable shows that I had done had actually been at Brighton Fringe. Um, they were great shows, great atmosphere. And one of the great things about that was kind of unifying the audience with, you know, the power of laughter people with you know, on two sides, people had been vaxxed and people who hadn't been vaxxed. And that was one of the things I wanted to achieve with that show, you know. Um, and that was why I kind of decided with um, the Bill Gates show, Bill Gates Killed My Hamster, to, to go back to Brighton last year um, and do the show again in that same venue. So it was, yeah, it was very surprising to a week before I was due to premiere the show there, the new show there, I got an email um, just informing me out of the blue that my show had been cancelled. I was, you've got to be joking. 
you know. Um, and it was then a, a very strange process because the guy that emailed me, um, you know, from the venue, the Caxton, um, was telling me all this stuff about, he's, he's saying that uh, social media posts, um, something to do with hate speech. I said, you're joking. Well, hate speech about what? Um, related to trans issues, he said. Re hate speech against trans people. Well, that's ridiculous. And as you said in the intro, um, I'm a Buddhist peace and freedom activist. I'm all about respecting people, right? Mm -hmm. Respect for life. The idea of, you know, having some kind of prejudice against any group of people that you don't even know, to me, is the most stupid, ridiculous thing possible. So that's a ridiculous allegation. So, yeah, it took quite a long time for them to substantiate those claims, but they did finally send me, the guy from the uh, venue, some uh, four screenshots of these supposed um, transgressive, uh, um, you know, posts. Uh, and and um, it was just absurd when I saw what they were putting forward as uh, I think what happened was someone decided obviously by the time I came to do that show Killing Granny had been touring for two years it had been reviewed and there'd been bits of it on the internet and stuff mm -hmm. um, I think someone um, decided they didn't want somebody taking the mickey out of Bill Gates and mm -hmm. they got someone to trawl through my social media to try and find something anything they could cancel me on mm -hmm. um and, you know, everything that I was getting from the guy at the Caxton wasn't making sense. Finally, I did get an email from Julian Caddy, the CEO of, of Brighton Fringe. And when I later went back and talked to the other guy, it was quite clear that Caddy had given him instructions. And in fact, all the, the emails that I initially exchanged with, with the guy at the venue were clearly things because I later interviewed him that he said that he he didn't know anything about what he the information he was giving me he was just passing that information on and one of the things he said was um your social media posts have caused quite a stir right caused a stir and uh, have created a, a hostile atmosphere at the venue so as I said in in you know, following on from what a good vibe I'd had the previous year doing the show there, similar kind of show, and I thought it was very odd. So I went down to to Brighton, and I went into the venue, and surprise, surprise, no hostile atmosphere. You know, just a nice, the normal laid back atmosphere there, and no hostile atmosphere, and and you know, my social media posts had created such a stir that nobody knew anything about the. Um, Mm -hmm. <laughs> the cancellation of the show or, or about the show or anything um none of the staff and the uh the landlord there didn't know anything about it either and in fact to this day brighton fringe have never publicly stated uh the reason for the cancellation and i think that's because um in my emails to caddy i sent him two comprehensive emails rebutting what he was saying and i didn't have any reply to the second one and soon after that, he he resigned. I don't know if there's any connection between his resignation and that oh. that saga, but it's certainly, you know, it's very strange. It was like dealing with something you think of, you know, would be going on in so in the Soviet Union, you know. And it's a you very see, slippery slope. 
Uh, I was going to say, Phil, let's say let's say everything they said was actually true. Let's say you had been stirring up a dissent or you had been offending people in their eyes. And, you know, what is yeah. offense anyway? Your version of offense and my version of offense may be two completely things or our definition of it. Surely, uh, as a grown adult, I should be left to make the decision that if I don't like Phil Zimmerman, I won't go to his shows. I won't pay him any money. I won't buy his DVDs. I won't, I won't support him in any way. I'll go and do what I want to do. And the people that do want to go and uh, support Phil Zimmerman, let them go and knock themselves out. Why do they, why do people have to be nannied to the extent that well, we're not even going to give you the option to go and see this guy or refuse to go and see this guy. We're just going to cancel him straight off the bat. Uh, you know, this sort of thing, uh, you know, censorship uh, is on stir at the minute and ultimately all you want to do is you said yourself you know you're a peace advocate you're a peace lover you're trying to make people laugh some people might find you hilariously funny other people may not it's not your cup of tea but those that do enjoy going to your shows they leave in a better condition than they arrived laughter is good for the soul it's it's medicine to the bones you know what's the problem with people going and having a laugh and even if it's subject matter that the government don't like you know why do they have to interfere to this extent is it not more deeply rooted than just cancelling you. It's about they don't want people to gather together in groups. They don't want the people to laugh because they know that it's good for their mental health. And they don't want people to have something to look forward to that might break the monotony of their otherwise grey and mundane and depressing lives. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And I think it follows on very much from what we saw in COVID. Um, you know, this kind of censorship and you're not allowed to have discussions or um, there's no debate and people who aren't saying the right thing aren't even allowed at the table, no matter how, you know, um, expert and they are in their field. And, you know, people of great integrity just been just been left out of the room. And it's insane. I mean, and, and you know, pe people that know my comedy and enjoy the comedy and wanted to come to the show but there's people that come from london on the day of the show and hadn't received an email saying it'd been cancelled and they did get a refund but they weren't given a reason for why it was cancelled mm. um nobody has been um so yes it's like i say it's a very slippery slope when you can have a situation where you know you could just anybody could um, manipulate or arrange or send an email of complaint against any com comedian about their show and get a few people to send examples of, uh, you know, screenshots or whatever. And then he would just be cancelled, um, you know, with, with no discussion, no consultation at all. Um, and um, that's just, uh, you know, unacceptable. We can't allow that to because, yeah. you, you know, Comedy is about, um, you know, it's about everyone being allowed in the room and um, without, um, you know, edgy comedy and surprises and, you know, um, challenge, challenging um, material, comedy's dead, you know? Yeah. The original idea of comedy is to, to um, hold up a mirror to human absurdity, you know, the fool making the king laugh to stop him going insane because yeah. he's a he's an egomaniac. This is mm -hmm. the, you know, if we're going to shut that down, then that that's uh, very detrimental to, you know, uh, freedom. As you were saying, um, you know, comedy, uh, laughter is very good for, for, um, for the health and uh, very important.
Uh, tell me this, uh, the, the the good thing about this, if you want to say it's a good thing, you know, it must have been a kick in the teeth at the time because you'd had those shows cancelled. People have bought tickets. They've got to get refunded. That just doesn't take, you know, money out of your pocket because, you know, you, you, you need we all need to earn a living here. Uh, that's not necessarily what drives you to do it but you know you're not doing this for the good of your health either uh the people that were maybe uh you know looking forward to the show they're like oh that's been cancelled and i've had hotel rooms booked you didn't let that deter you though uh because i want to make sure that uh people are aware just in the last few minutes of the show that uh next uh january well, i was going to say next january that's only a few weeks away now uh from the 25th onwards uh, you're going to be doing a new series of shows in london if i'm not mistaken from uh, the 25th of january for the new show, uh, Bill Gates uh, Killed My Hamster, which, if I'm not mistaken, is that a play on uh, a famous Daily Star headline from back in the day of uh, Freddie Star at My Hamster? I forgot that completely wrong. It, it is. It is inspired by that, yes. But, but, but if you're not old enough to remember that, I think it still works. <laughs> It does. It works a treat. <laughs> tell us about tell us about those shows because I want to try and uh, send people your way, Phil, if possible here, and look uh, forward rather than looking back at the skullduggery and shenanigans. So tell us what the new year is going to hold in, or how people can get in contact uh, and get tickets for these shows that are going to be held in London. Yeah, well, um, the 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 next show is on the twenty fifth of January. It's at the Hot House um, in in Chiswick in West London. And the tickets are on sale on wegottickets.com. So if you just um, Google that and put in um, Bill Gates killed my hamster, Phil Zimmerman, that should do the trick. Um, This show is, uh, I I will be announcing more more dates. Uh, I'm in the process of arranging more dates at the moment, and they will be on my social media. Um, On Twitter, at Zim Philemon. Instagram is um, uh, Phil Zimmerman Freedom. And mm-hmm. Facebook, Phil Zimmerman dot number five. And right. this show is a great show. So I think it's one of the best things I've done in comedy. I'm really enjoying doing this show. And it's, you know, the the one I did last year, this year, early, early this year, went really well. And um, it's very different from Killing Granny in a sense, in that Killing Granny was kind of about, as I say, uniting both sides of an argument. Now we're at a different place. A lot more information's come out. And this is really about going for the jugular with the comedy uh, with Bill Gates and really wiping the floor. If you don't, if you're a fan of Bill, you're not going to enjoy this. Okay. This is going to be a celebration of truth, freedom. There's going to be music. There's going to be sketches, going to be audience participation. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we're just going to use Bill. What I like about the structure of this show is that I actually use Bill Gates, own words to condemn him out of his own mouth. So there's a hell of a lot of um, material there that I've been working on, and it really does reveal the kind of stupidity behind what he's saying, the the corruption, the evil of it. And it's really quite um, amazing to put all that together in an hour show and just see how, you know, really it boggles the mind that he's been able to get away with what he's been able to get away with, basically. Uh, Phil, if you can as well, uh, we have a section on our website, which is tntradio.live. It's called the What's On section. So uh, keep an eye on that. And if you want to, if you have any promotional material for the tour, or certainly for that uh, date in London on the 25th, uh, of January. Uh, send the details through to our studio. Uh, just check out our website contact form and we'll give uh, you some promotion for that as well on our What's On section on TNT Radio. And of course, if you add further dates to that uh, coming into 2024, it would be nice. Maybe even if you could take that thing 
uh, on the road. Uh, of course, keep people updated uh, with where they can go. And one of the things that we try and promote here uh, on TNT, as well as just bringing people, uh, you know, what's latest happening in the news, what's breaking news, what's going on in the world. We also try and advocate for mental health. And I don't believe there's any better better medicine uh, than to laugh at this particularly grim time in history, because if you don't laugh, uh, you cry. And, uh, you know, laughter is an absolute tonic at the minute. So uh, just as we come up to the end of the show here, I just want to uh, really appreciate you coming on uh, at short notice and as well. I know you're not feeling 100% here today, but maybe uh, people will get turned on to some of the material that you have and maybe it'll be a little bit of a tonic uh, for them too. So, uh, Mr. Phil Zimmerman, uh, I, I thank you and I wish you a very Merry Christmas. Hard to believe this time next year, uh, week, not next year, this time next week, it'll be all over. Uh, two weeks Indeed. from now will be end of the new year, but keep us updated and uh, don't forget to update our web page uh, with dates off your show. So that's Phil Will Zimmerman. Uh, big pleasure, mate. Uh, pleasure, complete pleasure. Uh, I'm finished here for the day, but please don't go away. James Freeman is incoming here. And of course, I will be back tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. UK time with Natalie, TNT over and out.